Welcome back to No Caught Up Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. We're finally here. We're finally here. We're halfway through Winter Steel. Let's see. That's up to up to chapter fourteen. Uh, we're. I think we were supposed to stop at chapter thirteen, but the the cliffhanger there. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Luke had to see Lyndon power up with his Iron Man armor before before we stopped. You got to. Quick notes. I'm trying not to look back at theories yet that we talked about in the previous episode, so we're not going to be discussing uh, fan submitted theories yet. That will be that will be next week when we have actually finished the book. Uh, so hold on to those. Hold on. <laughs> I, I'm excited to see if anyone's right, to see if I have to throw out some uh, embarrassing stories to, to Will. I will say, Dan, mm. I don't know if you're like this, I'm at a point in my life where embarrassing stories are no longer embarrassing to me. They're just like fun to tell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've already thought of some that I'm ready to throw out there that I'm actually excited for. Uh I- I've got a few too. So I hope someone gets them right. I've got a few too, and I hope someone I hope someone gets them right. I will say, I think what makes an embarrassing story less embarrassing is time. So if somebody, <laughs> if one of these theories that we saw is very detailed and very correct, I think I'm going to have to do something actually embarrassing. You know what I mean? Like something that is like within the last two years that I'm like, oh, that was okay. bad. Okay, I've got a couple that are that recent. Okay, that'll work. So we'll see okay. if if Lyndon's uh, hunger arm devours the entire competition at one point, <laughs> as was predicted by one of those fan theories. You might hear one of these actually embarrassing, embarrassing facts, y'all. That'll be that'll be good. Uh, another one. I want to. I think that I saw that Winter Steel was actually the number one Kindle book. Yeah. Uh, so a quick congratulations to to Will. I know you're listening. Let's uh, let's talk. Let's talk the first half. Luke, let's start. Let's start where the book starts. How about that prologue? Oh yeah. Ooh, I feel yeah. like we get the we get the details of our sword sage dying. The prologue for this book has been immensely satisfying to a lot of people's burning questions. In terms of mm-hmm. like a few things, right? The how, <laughs> you know, the the age old question, the question as old as time, how are a bunch of jades able to kill the sword sage with poison and knives? Uh, we we seem to maybe have an answer to that mm-hmm. to that age old question. We also learn about what's going on in the sacred valley a little bit this quote-unquote curse that's happening and potentially who is in the sacred valley although we can't be we can't be certain of who who subject one is but apparently they're there according well the sword sage thinks that they're there we should we should say this (laughs) that's true he did. He did uh, die to a bunch of jades. So uh, let's not pretty, trust him. That's pretty embarrassing, honestly. Pretty <laughs> embarrassing, dude. I I was gonna say to this, still still a tough way for him to die. Still, I think kind of embarrassing, right? I mean, 
sure, he was like super weak because of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It wasn't. It was. It was <laughs> the funny thing about this. I don't know if this is the case for you. When I was reading this, because of his confidence, the sword mm-hmm. sage's confidence, I kept thinking like, oh, maybe he like didn't die, and we're gonna get a little twist here. Uh huh. But <laughs> but of course of course that's not the case. Uh, uh, I. You, you think there's still a chance, Luke? Are you ready? To, are you ready to start out this episode with a theory? Oh man, we never start with a theory. I've got a few today. Today we're gonna start with my theory: the Sword Sage didn't die. <laughs> That's what we're starting with today, y'all. I know a lot of people would take this prologue as definitive evidence. His remnant rose from his corpse. He there seems to be a plausible explanation for how it happened. Kind of a touching story of him teaching Yaren and doing all this stuff for Yaren. It's nice. It's nice. Uh, it wasn't him. It wasn't the Sword Sage, actually. You know, it was one of the first things that tipped me off to this. What's that? The Sword Sage is fighting off just a gaggle of jades. They're stabbing him. They're hitting him with clubs. They're throwing techniques at him. A very, a very funny image, I will say, by the way, yeah, where he's just like, he's just like annoyingly swatting at all these jades as he's walking towards the door to blast them all. Yeah, very, very funny image. But you know what was missing in that fight? Hmm. Where is gold signs? The sword sage is being attacked on all sides by opponents that are much weaker than him. And he's like throwing out rippling swords using his winter steel blade and like slicing. He's just doing like regular sword fighting. He's got like a bunch of sword arms. Mm -hmm. How is he not just standing there like, okay, come on, try and try and fight me. Every time we (laughs) see Yaren, every time we've seen Yaren fight, she's got six blades coming out and slicing at people. And yet the sword sage dies without showing his gold signs Ooh, okay this is a good question uh i i'll let's say if anyone knows that like the sacred valley curse like suppresses your gold sign uh let us know i don't remember that being the case Mm -mm, it ain't because yaren has (laughs) one like immediately that's okay that's that's true um yeah, no, I, you're you're onto something here. <laughs> you think you think that this just like is a completely different person, or okay. do you think that he's still it's still him just faking it? Here is what happened: the Sword Sage ascended. Ooh. Throughout this book, we've heard this idea that the high level sacred artists on Cradle are constantly being recruited to ascend by the Abadan to help in their cause. And the Abadan use like tricks to try and get them to ascend. And there's kind of like a stigma against ascending among a lot of the elite sacred artists on Cradle. I think Adama, the sword sage, has been thinking about ascending for a long time. But like he needed a fake my own death kind of moment 
in order to do it. Because <laughs> he, because it would have been embarrassing for people it would to have been too ascending. embarrassing for him to ascend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, you're say you're saying that he didn't want everyone knowing that he was selling out for a bigger contract. <laughs> this is exactly right, Luke. This is exactly right, okay. and so he had to, even even like as implausible as this story is, which honestly nobody believed it until we saw it. <laughs> Nobody believed it until we saw it. Uh, it's more, I think it's more believable than the alternative that he ascended, at least to the elite of this world. Okay. Also, okay. if you think about it from the perspective of the Abadan, they're like desperate for recruits right now. And they're going to let like one of the most powerful sacred artists on Cradle just get stabbed to death by a bunch of jades. What are you doing? <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, let's. I, I'm tell me, tell me if you do. But mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna push by the idea that you know we see his remnant and everything. I can, feel like the Abadan could you can fake, fake that. that. Yeah, you could fake that. easily fake yeah. that. Okay, so we're saying uh, our sword sage mm-hmm. is like, ah, what's Yaren gonna think? What's my girlfriend, the Winter Sage, gonna think? Uh, they're going to be pissed at me, but the Abadan are paying a lot of money, plus there's no income tax up there. It's hard to pass up. It's hard to pass up if you're a, if you're a sword sage. Uh, I, I say go for it. Good for him. I think it's this is like retirement for him, right? Maybe he does some consulting, some light consulting work. Mm-hmm. But I imagine he's just kind of he's just kind of done with it the whole yeah. sage more pay shorter hours <laughs> no i think that that's true i i'm i agree with you actually now you've got me okay you got me on the hook okay cool so yeah sword sage is ascended uh we might see them later on who knows uh alternatively his soul got sucked into the labyrinth and what came out was a husk that was being controlled by subject one. That's my alternative and that he never actually came out of the labyrinth. Uh, regardless, Ooh. where were his gold signs? Come on. <laughs> He's got a, he would have definitely pulled out those gold signs if he was fighting a bunch of jades and thought you, he was going to You got a bunch of, you got a bunch of jabby boys. Just use them. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, okay. Good, good point. Very good point. I'm gonna move. I'm gonna move us on a little bit um, to the news that apparently Northstrider is a good guy, like just kind of a decent guy. It seems like. And here's here's what I'm basing this off of. Okay. He he's telling this story, or no no no, it's it's the memory that Lyndon gets, mm-hmm. and he's chasing this dragon, and he's chasing him over a bunch of villages that he's destroyed, and he's like horror, like incredibly sad at all the villages that were destroyed that he couldn't get to first. That's kind of surprising for, like, a monarch that, that has Northstrider's reputation, right? This is true, yes. It's, I, and he's, like, helping out Linden a little bit. I think we got a little, a little image of him uh, in the last book talking, uh, talking to Linden. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems like a good guy to me. Is that weird? It is weird, and I'll say this. I think his outward, like, aura that he gives off, his attitude is pretty 
cold a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's why so far we've been pretty... We haven't been super warm to North Strider because he's he doesn't talk very much. He's kind of rude. He's kind of a rude boy. Right. But well, he's got to keep up the image. Exactly. He keeps up this image, but but inside maybe he has a, a heart of gold. I still don't know, right? Because maybe <laughs> the change to be monarch f- f- like changed him in a significant way. Mm-hmm. Like That's true. When, when he became a monarch, and we also learned that through his technique, he takes on like some of the personality of the things that he is absorbing. So sure, maybe when he went to go fight this dragon, he was like, oh, wow, all these villages are burned. Man, I wish I could have saved it. But he like then absorbed the personality of this destruction dragon who was like, "Mm, that was so fun destroying all those villages. I loved it. And so the net (laughs) result could just be that he's like, meh. Oh, okay. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. A little little change overcoming him Mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't buy that yet. I don't think that's necessarily what happened, um, but I don't know. I don't know how long ago that memory was. Also, my concern with North Strider has to do with kind of a larger conflict that we've heard about so far between the Dread Beasts and the Monarchs. And at one Dread, point, Dread Gods, and the sorry, monarchs. Dread Gods and the Monarchs. Because at one point, I don't remember who asked the question about, like, why didn't Akura Malice stop the phoenix way sooner? Like, why did she wait for the bleeding phoenix to kill a bunch of people before stopping it? And the response was like, well, we lost a lot of territory when she did that. So I don't know if that was worth it, really. Uh, I'll get to that in a second because I think that logic by itself is kind of busted. But North Strider, they thought he was dead. So, like, North Strider could just be going around blowing up dread gods. He doesn't have to defend territory. Like, why isn't he using his powers to destroy dread gods? Okay, you're saying that North Strider should take on a full-time position as just like dread god fighter collect some like taxes from all the other monarchs so that they don't have to do it you're very into taxes this episode luke but (laughs) but i'm into it yeah we need a centralized system of everybody pays in and no but i okay no but i i i see i see your point that like if if the drawback of you as a monarch fighting one of the dread gods is that other people can take over can like take advantage of your distraction. It doesn't seem like North Strider has much that like the other monarchs covet necessarily, considering he was thought dead for a while. Um, so yeah, no, I think that he could just give him just give him like rogue world saving role. Just like go around doing good things. <laughs> but this is why this is why I feel like he's not necessarily a great dude. Is mm. because he has the opportunity to just go do this, but he just, it seems like he either doesn't or, or can't. And if he can't, okay, sure, maybe he's a good guy. And he's just not as powerful as we think. But if he can and doesn't, come on. God, these are like, so many people are dying. 
a lot. And this this actually brings me so well back to the the busted logic that I referred to earlier. Okay. Let's think about the excuse that is given for why a cur of malice didn't stop the dread god sooner. Well, you see, we lost a lot of territory when we when Akura Malice went and fought the Dread God and stopped its bloody rampage. And so I don't know if it was really worth it because we no longer control that territory anymore. Okay, my response to that is just like, so what? Like, did the people in that territory die a horrible bloody death? No, they just have to pay taxes to a different person. <laughs> So, like, what do you mean it wasn't worth it? I get it's that you're, okay. like, trying to keep control over your little corner of this world. But if I'm just a person and I hear that you're you're just trying to keep control over your little continent and you're willing to let, like, millions of people die because you don't want a rival taking, like, some of your land because the dread gods aren't conquering territory and then ruling it it's not like we have a different government that's being set up they're just killing everyone okay okay yes i i i very much see your point um i will say a quick a quick aside i do like seeing the uh like details of the responsibilities that everyone has, mm, right? Mm -hmm, like, it's mm -hmm. interesting. I feel like previous books, I was just like, what do they even do? But now it's like, you get a you get a, a broader picture. Uh, to your point, though, I don't know if the things that they lost are necessarily just like land, right? Like, maybe they lost uh, a very good, a, a very good uh, mine, you know? Lost a lost a very valuable mine over here. Maybe, uh, maybe a very strategic. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> look, we're talking about economic costs versus like human lives, and like how much are we willing to sacrifice our economy for humans dying? <laughs> yeah. Um... When like a cur malice is up here in the 0.001% and like, <laughs> sure, maybe she loses a mind somewhere. It's not like anyone in her continent would starve if she didn't want them to. This is a, this is a very weirdly political <laughs> episode, but I'm into it. Um, let's, let's I don't dive, know what let's you're talking about, deeper. weirdly political. I'm just talking about the economy and people dying. I don't know how, how it's political. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fair enough. That should be a one side, or like everyone should agree. Okay. Um, the thing is, though, in this world, like it seems like human life isn't that important. Or just not necessarily human life, but like life in general. It, you know what I mean? It does seem that way, Luke. It sucks. It sucks. So this is, I, I, I know you weren't saying this, but I, this it does seem consistent to me where they're just like, Whatever, that's just like a million people. We have like 20 billion. <laughs> I agree with you. It does seem consistent. And it, it kind of harkens back to something we've talked about in the past about how the King of the Dragons wants to impose his will 
over cradle where it's just like might makes right and whoever's strongest can do whatever they want. And we were kind of asking like, how is it any different from that right now? It seems like they've already won. And so you're right. I think that this is in line. This is very on brand for the monarchs of cradle, but they suck kind (laughs) of. I mean, okay. So I think that we're giving, we're not giving it, enough credit to at least like the Akuras because I imagine that they do care um well like to an extent right to an extent the this also I think is building really nicely to what it seems like Ethan is trying to do and we've we've started to get little hints of this throughout this (laughs) through this half of the book. Do you know what I'm talking about? When, when, I was, when I was saying that this is weirdly political, it's because I have a note about Ethan. <laughs> All right, well, do you want to lead us into this then? Because I'm about to talk about Ethan's little project. Ethan's, Ethan's uh, trying to shake things up a little bit. Seems pretty, uh, seems pretty progressive. <laughs> He's frustrated. <laughs> He's frustrated at the at the status quo. All of these all of these old politicians just uh, just uh, not willing to make big waves. You're you saying know? you're saying Ethan's throwing out the Green New Deal. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Here's the thing: the air quality on the rose gold continent is atrocious. It's so now, bad. Now Ethan over here. <laughs> has a plan to fix that and create 20 million new jobs. <laughs> How is this an argument? <laughs> I so so let's take it back to the book. Ethan's okay. green new deal is essentially like let's get rid of the dread gods. That's what it sounds like he's advocating for. Yes. And the sense I got was he tried to convince his monarch to team up with the Shen Empire and eliminate the Dread Gods. Mm-hmm. How pissed do you think he is when the Shen monarch now is coming out to everybody and saying, hey guys, we should get rid of the Dread Gods. <laughs> and Ethan's it's over BS, here like, man. that was my idea. <laughs> Here's the thing. This policy pulls in the high 90s. <laughs> I mean, I no. You got to be frustrated if you're if you're Ethan. It's got to right? be. I mean, <laughs> you come up with this idea. Somebody murders your entire family and then takes over your idea. That's tough. Yeah, it's really tough. It's really it's really tough. Um, but you have to wonder how Ethan is now planning to do this. Right, Ethan's talking about shaking up the system. Do you think do you think Ethan saw the eight man empire and was like, Oh, I think we could optimize that a little bit? And he's been trying to form like a little Voltron monarch action with him and Yaren and Mercy. Okay. <laughs> Way to leave out Lyndon there. Um Oh yeah, sure, Lyndon too. I I think that we get an answer here. Like I think he says it. Mm-hmm. That he's trying to raise up new monarchs. Yes. Yes, I agree. Basically. I agree. Yeah. Can we talk about how bold of a strategy that is for this guy? (laughs) 
how how bold of a strategy is for Ethan? For you know? anybody who like <laughs> Ethan, sure. But like somebody who's not a monarch looks at the current system and is like, hmm, it kind of sucks. I'm gonna make my own whole like world ruling body and we're gonna do it right and it's me that's gonna the, train them <laughs> the funny thing is it's the same system right <laughs> this is so true yeah so it's like you just gotta play the game you know that's very you play true the game get some new monarchs in there assume that they're the good ones <laughs> it also really starts to f- make it really starts to fit together why Ethan has been so under the radar for so long. Because obviously if you're trying to overturn the current political system, it's gonna rebel against you. And if Ethan is if Ethan's over here like, I'm about to raise up some monarchs, we're gonna change up the whole system, the current monarchs are gonna be like, mm, how about no? <laughs> So Ethan's just like out here pretending to be like, you know, a clever trickster kind of guy, but nobody really dangerous. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Because you would think that the monarchs would pretty easily be able to like stop other people from becoming monarchs. Right. And we also... Even without just like assassinating them. Like... They're incredibly powerful. They fund them. Yeah. Exactly. And... There's like a limit. Did you catch this in this reading? There's like, there aren't that many sages and heralds and monarchs in the world because there's kind of a limit. And the Abadan will like well, aggressively recruit people to keep them from staying on Cradle. Yeah, but I got the sense that that was more of a political thing done by the Akura clan. Where they're like, we've already got our symbol it only has three stars. We can't add a fourth. So, I mean, it might be a legitimate, like... This is getting very political, Luke. <laughs> it might be, like, a legitimate limit in terms of what can happen. But I, I took it to be more of a, like, you kind of get you kind of get forced out of the, of the Akura specifically clan okay here's why i don't not not forced out of the clan but like pressured to ascend so i think this is true for all of the big empires in this world because of like the ideas of balance of power and like the akura clan wouldn't survive if they were like we're only gonna have one sage one herald and one monarch and another clan was like fuck that i want five monarchs (laughs) Like, the Akura clan would just, like, die off because the other clan would destroy them. Okay. So so do you actually think that it's, like, a, uh, it's, like, a real physical, or not, I don't know about physical, but, like, a conservation of energy kind of thing? I think it might be. It might be where there's, like, limited resources and it might not be, like, imposed upon Cradle, but it might come about naturally. Like, it might be the stable equilibrium that we're working with here okay but i don't know i it it feels like there's a limit and i imagine the current monarchs would be kind of pissed if they heard about ethan trying to mess with their with their vibe okay okay yeah so they're like they're at equilibrium right now Mm -hmm. you can't you can't really 
as soon as you mess with it, it just comes back to equilibrium. That's right. That's right. Le Chatelier's principle. <laughs> That's for you, uh, T.H. Furan. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's a thing. We got very political. Um, let's do something non-political and still keep it on Ethan. Can we talk about Ethan's fight? Uh, <laughs> this guy. This guy's incredible. What's going on here? Yeah, this guy's very cool. I, w- I was not expecting this book to see Ethan do something like this. I think we always knew it was possible. Because almost every fight Ethan's been in, it's it's not really been a contest. It's been mm-hmm. just him like winning, and like a, only a right. matter of time for how he how he would win. So, incredible fight. There's there's two things that I want to talk about in particular with this fight, though. And the first has to do with a theory that I brought up previously about why the nine cloud court wasn't represented at Ghostwater. Oh, no. And my theory about why the Nine Cloud Court wasn't represented at Ghostwater was because they were busy rigging the arena to give them the advantage. And they had to they had to spend the time there rather than at Ghostwater. And I'm going to say we get a little bit of confirmation that that's true in this section of the book for two reasons. The first... During Ethan's fight, he casts out his perception into the arena, and there is a circle around the Nine Cloud Monarch that Ethan cannot perceive using his ability, his bloodline ability. And he has to rely on his regular old human senses to see what's going on there. So if she buried like a jar with a bunch of remnant wasps in it, (laughs) Ethan would have no way of knowing that that was there. No, they said what it was. She just used her Madra. Mm. She has like some ruler Madra. Or not ruler Madra. What's it called? Royal Madra. Oh, Royal Madra. Yeah, you're right. Royal Madra. Royal Madra that like takes that. (laughs) I mean, sure, but I think it was a convenient coincidence. Okay. Like, maybe it was so that he couldn't perceive directly around her, but also it would conveniently hide anything in the ground on the arena. Mm. The other reason why I think it's obvious in this section is the hound comes down and tells all of the monarchs that they have to have one contest after the other daily for the next week and they don't get their time in between in advance to prepare and the first thing that the nine cloud monarch says is but 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 how will we prepare the arena in time okay okay are you kidding me you it's hard to like throw a little sand around and light some fires around the arena in between events Listen, you got to get those you got to get those hot dog vendors organized and it takes a while. No. No, crossing the T's and dotting the I's, Dan. Luke, that <laughs> nacho cheese needs to be melted. <laughs> no. This is a monarch. This is the most powerful being in this on this continent. 
and she's like, oh, I don't think we're going to get the, the decorations ready in time for the party tomorrow. Oh, no. Wrong. Wrong. She's okay. like, oh, how am I going to hide my traps if I only have a day in between each one of these contests? My, my wasps need to be put down there and it takes a while. <laughs> Got to dig a hole. Apparently. Your argument could be, your argument is refuting itself here. What are you talking though. about? What are you talking about? <laughs> You're saying that it's ridiculous that she needs more time to prepare the stadium. If all, Therefore, if all she had to prepare <laughs> was the decorations, then it would be ridiculous. But she has to hide traps from the other monarchs they can't know that she's doing this okay that takes work that takes work <laughs> and the the that reason ethan's fight was so incredible is he didn't even give her the time to activate these things her wasps the mm-hmm. wasps yeah i think that's why we haven't we didn't see them during this fight <laughs> is because ethan's fight was just so quick that okay. the nine cloud monarch didn't have time to to activate those things that that she was looking to activate. Plus, Luke, don't tell me that this child who throws a tantrum when she loses would not have hidden something in the in the stadium just to get a little edge. Mm-hmm. You have to remember this mm-hmm. is a child. That's true. That's very true. I think that's all the confirmation we need. I mean, the tournament's not over, and we've seen that they have thrown their weight behind the Shen Empire. Perhaps their traps will still be used at some point. Could be. Could be. Um, the, the other thing about this fight that I wanted to say is, is Lyndon's perception of it. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you catch this part where he's talking about how Ethan seemed like he had like a battle plan, like how Dross does, mm-hmm. but there is something else that Lyndon can't quite sense. But he's on his way, I imagine. Mm-hmm. I don't really necessarily have much in the way of what that is, um, other than the kind of generic theory about it's some kind of like authority or sage-related sage power. But that's kind of general. Mm-hmm. But there's something there. Mm-hmm. Lyndon's, Lyndon's sniffing at it. Might figure it out sometime soon. I'm excited. I'm excited for that. But it does show also that there's something else to eat then. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the, the battle plan thing is kind of suspicious. I I don't think it's out of character at all for Ethan, though. I think Lyndon mm-hmm. is just recognizing when somebody else goes into a battle that they're very well prepared for. I think Lyndon is just seeing Ethan go into a battle where Ethan has considered all the possibilities and come up with contingency plans for all of them. And he's just like, oh, other people can do that without Dross? That's crazy. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. And the the greatest example of this is the thing with the Archstone, where Ethan goes to every single entrance to the labyrinth that the Jai clan leader tries to get an artifact from. And he, like, steals all of them. No, 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 no. He doesn't go to the labyrinth. He goes and steals any possible thing that the Jai clan leader could use for retaliation and leaves him as an only option of going into the labyrinth and taking this specific artifact so that Ethan could then steal it from him later. And that he would use it at this 
particular time to when everyone would be watching him and Ethan could take his place in the new hierarchy. So I I don't feel like Lyndon should be that surprised that Ethan goes into this fight and just does a quick boom, 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 and the fight's over. Okay, fair, fair. But I still do think that it's... Well, okay, I guess there's the... The main thing here is there this the little something extra that Lyndon mm-hmm. can't quite see. And there's, I don't know if it's necessarily connected, but there's also the little like blank spots in the, uh, in the consume technique. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of these little like things that Lyndon can't quite see, but they're there and he's, he's on the hunt for him. Yeah. And the, I'm, I'm ready to figure out what it is. This strikes me as very similar to an Yaren was mm-hmm. sort of like sensing these extra things when her and Ethan were doing the training without her eyes. It feels right. very similar to that. And, you know, I think, of course, Ethan is trying to train Yaren and Lyndon, it seems like, to be monarchs. And so he's trying to f- get them to follow this path of, like, learning to see these things. And so... I think when he, you know, when he designs a training strategy for Yaren, he's like has this in mind. He's trying to get her to see this, and when he when he tells Lyndon to pay attention to what's going on, he's like trying to give him little hints of this. So right. I definitely agree. There's something going on with like Ethan trying to get his students to see this extra little thing that's there. He's trying to, yeah, he's trying to get them. He's trying to get them to sagehood, is my guess. The last thing I want to say about this fight with Ethan is with the stopwatch. Of first off, hilarious, very great scene. But the more I thought about it, the harder it was for me to rationalize why he would bring a stopwatch and time the event itself. Like if I am an elite 100 meter sprinter when i go race against someone i don't bring my own stopwatch and time the start and finish of my race because there's like hundreds of people watching it and cameras recording it and i can just watch the footage later and that will tell Mm -hmm. me exactly how long it took so i was like why did ethan bring a stopwatch to time it himself when like it's all recorded anyway and he knows it's recorded and i think ethan knows we are watching him and when i say we i mean luke and dan as readers so you're saying that he's breaking the fourth wall here i'm saying that ethan is so like ethan's bloodline abilities are so strong that he knows even we are observing him which is why the stopwatch is funny for us he knows it'll be entertaining for us because we can see it but it's okay. like there's no real purpose to it because everybody knows like how it. long it took yeah yeah for sure but like we're not gonna we're not gonna get a read out of that no. unless ethan tells us with his stopwatch I, you know i think you're i think you're onto something here Ethan definitely is breaking the fourth wall, definitely uh, is aware that he's in a simulation. Is that what this is? <laughs> I'm gonna, I want to talk briefly about Sofara, the mm. golden dragon. Mm-hmm. This book is surprisingly light so far on her, but I just want to say, obviously she's like super powerful, 
but is she kind of a scrub? Like, because she's bragging about the fact that she's able to handle all of these enhancements. She's like, yeah, my family has just like stuffed me full of all of this power and enhancements. And like, I'm so great because I can take it. And it's like, that's not that cool. <laughs> you gotta suck. Like, I'm assuming that's how everyone is reading it because I feel like that's probably not an unpopular opinion. But yeah. I gotta imagine that's gonna be her downfall. You're saying it's not nearly as impressive as like Lyndon, who is just like, maybe he's got good technique, or Ethan, who's very good at strategizing. Right, like Ethan, has, Ethan has a ton of skill, mm-hmm. right? Uh, all of these other people have like built up their techniques and power themselves, whereas she is just kind of like inheriting it all. This is that kid at your high school who pulls up in a brand new BMW one day and wants to race you. And you're you're in the Honda Civic that you saved up for for three summers mowing lawns. And you're like, I know you didn't pay for that car. I'm not going to race you. It doesn't look cool when you beat me in a race. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're you're very fast, but your mommy and daddy bought you that car. That doesn't mean you're cool, okay? That's right. That's totally right. Yeah, I I agree with you here. I actually think I not only do I think Safara is kind of a scrub, I think she's kind of an idiot here Ooh. too. Because she, everybody else in this tournament is concealing their their abilities to a certain extent they're not they're trying to not show everything that they can do meanwhile safara as soon as the round starts lights half of the arena on fire and blasts the other person out of the water i get the message that sends is very intimidating i get that and I guess technically you're not revealing that much of your technique because the match ends so quickly. But you're also like painting a giant target on your back. I mean, okay, yes, that's true. But she's already like by far the favorite, right? So like wh- I feel like there's not that much more to gain from like from her to downplay herself Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i guess that's true i just this move feels like such an end move right this move feels like such a like this is your last move not your first move kind of deal yeah because because now they're like oh i have to make sure that i have a way to just like defend against (laughs) complete which i don't know what you do but (laughs) I feel like you just you just as soon as the round starts, you gotta get get on her side of the arena. Just do a quick a quick <laughs> tuck and roll. And either, then it's either like, that or or you you play as Fox and press down B. <laughs> it's devastating. That's devastating when it happens. <laughs> Reflects it back to her. There you go. <laughs> um, no, I okay okay valid point. Um, Wait, can I can I bring us to something very trivial that I just want to congratulate us, me and you, on? Mm, get us there. I love that. Uh, a, a while ago, 
we talked about the fashion uses for like scripts and stuff. Love to see these robes that Ethan gives Lyndon have little glow under there. It's incredible. He's looking great. And they like match. W- they match his eyes with this mm-hmm. red glow. Ooh, <laughs> incredible! They're like they're like weirdly fitted and and perfect for him. Which you love to see. Love to see uh, Ethan having just like outfits for <laughs> for his uh, for his friends yeah, for the that's, team. That's uh, get, God. Can I have a friend like Ethan? You know. Who tells you to get better haircuts and and has any outfit you could ever want? Listen, if you got some advice on my haircut, Ethan, I'm willing to try something new. You've got a moisturize. <laughs> we do love uh, Ethan. But, okay, we do. But uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep us kind of kind of here with Lyndon and Yaren's relationship. They go on this little date. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm worried here. Hmm. Okay? Okay. I think that there's too much pressure on this relationship. I kind of agree with you actually. It's very stressful if you're them if if like everyone everyone is like working super hard to have you guys going out. That's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure. It's also interesting how they're like conforming to an expectation of what two people who are romantically interested do because Like, there was not really a weird part of it where they were like, are we dating? Aren't we dating? It seems like they were just like, oh, yeah, we should go out to dinner because this is getting kind of, like, more serious now. And I get that the dinner was nice, but it's also seemed just like, yeah, you guys are already kind of, like, dating. So can't, like, why do you have to do the things that everybody expects people who are dating do? What what about Mm. those things make it, like, official? in a certain degree. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. Like I get that going out to dinner is nice, but other people told them that they should do this thing. And like, what What if they were just like perfectly content with like, actually like, we kind of have a good understanding of what's going on and we're not really, that's not really something we care about. So like, it's whatever. Mm-hmm. But instead, mm-hmm. Mercy's like, no, no, no. If you're going to date this person, you got to take him out to dinner and you got to dress up nice. And it's like, uh, Mercy, they already kind of have that their own thing going on. Well, OK, I, I agree with you to a certain extent, but I also think that it's a little bit of uh, like giving them options. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, here, try this. Mm. see if it's nice i see i see i will say too it is like to to kind of refute my own point people it seems like are trying to get them more intentional about these kind of things right where it's mm-hmm. like hey if this is a rom- like a romantic relationship like do something about it like don't just assume mm-hmm. what it is don't just kind of fall into it but like be active in the process so I definitely get that. It just feels weird that there's like, there's not a lot of like tension between Lyndon and Yaren about this stuff. Like they both seem to be kind of on the same page about it. Right. But they haven't had the talk yet. Right. They haven't, they haven't, they haven't DTR'd yet. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they won't. 
maybe maybe Yaren gets together with this this lightning boy who she just met. Maybe he looks great. He does He's look very friendly too. Looks very great. He's friendly. And yeah, I don't know, who knows? Maybe Lyndon, maybe Lyndon and uh and Grace. Maybe Lyndon and Grace uh find a little spark there. <laughs> I I will say this was kind of weird to throw in uh this like marriage thing. Not weird in a sense of like them trying to do it, but we haven't gotten a sense of these kind of like marriage alliances being a thing until now. Yes. I agree. And I didn't you. I didn't it didn't seem like that was a big part of the culture until now. Yes. I will say in either Black I think in Black Flame Ethan's ooh, who is Ethan's second in command? Cassius. Cassius. Cassius had to get like permission to marry his wife and Ethan vouched for him. So there definitely mm-hmm. is some like political aspect to marriages, but we yeah, we haven't seen a lot of like political maneuvering in marriages. And maybe that's just because we've been at too low of a level for it to matter. Right now we're at the point where any of these people at the Uncrowned Tournament could be monarchs. And so there you're trying to like secure loyalty and alliances between people. Mm-hmm. But also apparently at the monarch level, you can just do whatever you want. So <laughs> I don't know if it really matters. Right. I, I, I do appreciate the little like uh, flirty image we get of Malice. I thought that was kind of kind of funny because we haven't gotten much of her personality yet yes i want to i want to change subjects a little bit okay and this i don't know if this question is controversial or not but is emrys kind of a dread god Ooh. okay i have i'll say the one thing that i will that i that i know of that i was gonna bring up Mm -hmm. it seemed like she was teaming up with a dread god Right. Because there's a there's a there's a note here where it says like she takes her I forget what exactly it says, but it basically makes it seem like she's teaming up with the Silent King. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're basing this off of, or are you going somewhere else? Well, partly. Because we do get at the end of the report on Emrys, the suggested topic is Emrys and the Silent King as like the next thing to read about with Emrys. And I I don't think the Silent King was what killed Emrys and caused her, their remnant to rise. I think that was monarchs teaming up on her because they didn't like her educating people. And so that's part of it. But the other part is just the vibe I get from Emrys and her kind of style Reminds me a lot of Dread Beasts with this idea that they have like followers and they're not exactly human. They're kind of foreign and they have these like, like the the leaves from Emrys reminded me a lot of Blood Parasites. Where it's these mm-hmm. little pieces of Emrys that scatter throughout the world and that come to, kind of come together okay. and reform as Emrys. Okay. That reminded me a lot of the Bleeding Phoenix. That's fair. The other thing is that 
she seems to have a kind of cult with now it may not be it may not look exactly the same as the cult of the other dread gods but she's like educating people who are like her followers and so she's gone around like teaching everybody the same language she is um and so in a sense they're kind of all a part of this like knowledge cult that she's creating <laughs> i don't know i'm just suspicious what of what of the few good cults you are, are you okay i don't think she's are necessarily evil i don't think she's necessarily okay. evil she might be maybe she has <laughs> maybe she has good intentions maybe she's been on a very long pr campaign that uh is enabling her to do something shady right right or i mean we also have to consider the possibility that if there are like evil uncaring dread gods maybe there are some nice ones (laughs) fair enough i to your the point about the silent king thing Mm -hmm. um i think right before it gets to that it says something about her being I forget what exactly it says. I'd have to go back and look, but it it implies that she's teaming up with the Silent King, some kind of cooperation. Mm -hmm. So, which is very interesting because the Silent King is the dread god of, I think, dreams, and like mm -hmm. very focused on dream aura and dream madra and like illusions. That could be very dangerous, Luke. Luke, maybe Cradle's been a dream the whole time, and Lyndon's gonna wake up. <laughs> could be. I could see it. Then none of our theories are right, <laughs> except this one. So count You're it. Right. Right. <laughs> we've got we've got that one covered. Um, I I have a question. Am I the only one that thinks that this sage training is not as cool as I originally did? Because like. Yaren is getting to train with the Winter Sage, who's just like another one. <laughs> like she already had a Sword Sage training her. Yeah. And then Mercy is getting charity, and it's like, okay, so like the normal stuff. <laughs> I don't. It doesn't seem that great. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. I feel like one of them should have been like. I'm going to get this anyway. Lyndon, if you want mine, like I've got this coupon for one free sage training that I yeah, don't Yeah, it's a BOGO. Need. Yeah. So Lyndon, if you want to just come, like you've not experienced this kind of training before and I think it could be super helpful to you. So here you go. Enjoy that. I'm going to go get a mani-pedi. Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. Ethan... I don't know, I was... Ethan... None of the sage trainings actually has sounded that interesting. Ethan's just over here having a lovely evening. <laughs> Ethan's just over here uh, advancing to Overlord and having dinner. <laughs> Within like 30 seconds. And everyone else is just doing kind of like standard training. I don't know. Right. I agree with you. I was expecting a lot more like a like an increasing in intensity in what the sages were doing i i feel like the sages thing is like getting a personal trainer like it's better than working out on my own and it's like expensive but it's not like gonna turn me into a supermodel that's that's my own thing it's all about diet (laughs) (laughs) all right well luke's not a nutritionist 
or a personal trainer or a dietitian. So don't worry about any of this stuff he's saying. Uh, I think you're beautiful. That's coming from Dan. But thank you. I'm uh, assuming that's towards me. Yeah, sure. I feel like what Ethan had Lyndon and Yaren doing was way cooler than what any of the sages are doing. Like Ethan's over here throwing Lyndon into a a steel cage death match with a bunch of dread beasts for like a week and then pulls him out and feeds him a bunch of blood to upgrade to iron that's intense that's the kind of training that i was expecting when you're like okay we've got a month before we go back to these super important fights we're turning it up to 15 we're skipping past 11 we're going all the way to 15 you might die here but it's gonna be really cool that's true. That's true. That's what I was that's what I was hoping for as well. And I'm going to say I thought I was going to hate the points that Lyndon is now currently working on. I love the points. I want to get as many points <laughs> the, as possible. The good thing about this part is that we get another one of those look how cool Lyndon is like series of scenes. Which we've we've had a few of throughout the throughout this series, mm-hmm. um, but I'm always here for it. I I love it when Lyndon is put up against a seemingly impossible task and is just like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna try and do this. Like, I I did a quick calculation. I did I did a little bit of math, Luke. We're gonna bring back a segment. Okay. Luke and Dan, Dan do the math. the math. So Lyndon wanted to get all of the prizes. All of the exclusive prizes in Fury's points competition. That's about 12,000 points to get all of those prizes. Luke, you get one point for a Dread Beast below Lord and five points for a Dread Beast at the Lord level. To put this in perspective, this is like. It's like somebody tells you you have a week to get $120 and you're walking along the street and you see a bunch of pennies and nickels on the ground. You're like, I think I can keep picking these up and I'll get there. (laughs) Lyndon, why are you even stopping to kill dread beasts at this point? Oh, okay. Okay. You're saying saying the opportunity cost. Yeah. Stop picking up pennies, dude. Focus focus your energy entirely on other things. Right. Like, I get every penny counts, but if you're stopping for every penny you see on the side of the street, you're never going to go apply for that job at the pizza place that pays $10 an hour. That's true. You're not going to make it to that interview, Lyndon. It's, it's important to keep in mind, too, that with Lyndon's strategy, over the course of a week, he made a thousand points. That's kind of, that's kind of a lot. Mm -hmm. So think about, he made a thousand points in a week. Each assignment is worth 20 points. So that means in a week they did 50 assignments. If all they did were assignments. Let's, let's cut them a little slack. Let's say they, they got a few dread, dread beasts in there. Let's do, they did 40 assignments in a week. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Typical assignment takes mm, 
for one of them, they were going to take like eight hours to escort these people, right? I don't, I don't know if this is the way, guys. <laughs> so, okay, what's your, what's your alternative? I think you just... I think they need to focus a lot more on stealing things from the other people. Ooh. Because we get this scene, we get this... <laughs> this has to be not allowed. <laughs> no, it's totally allowed! Lyndon's like, hey, I know you were stealing from us. How would you like to steal from other teams? Okay, 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 okay. Yes. Because right now, Lyndon but... only has the manpower of eight people. But if he has his eight people stealing from, like, literally every other team... <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but imagine if you're Fury... And uh, one of your assistants comes up and is like, hey, it turns out our best team isn't actually doing anything to help us. And is just going around stealing the other people's stuff. That's Fury's problem. He made a bad system. (laughs) He gave them the rules. He's going to change the rules. All right. So they've (laughs) got to be subtle with it. Okay. You got to. Here's an alternative. These points are just a currency system. Linden should not be doing the things that like any of these other sacred artists can do to support this. Linden has specialized talents. Linden should be selling his services for points. Linden should be saying, hey, I'll make you some cool armor. You're never going to get enough points to buy the mm, diamond vein. I see what you mean. Potion. So you can give me, I'll, I'll buy your Dread Beast bindings. You give me enough Dread Beast bindings, and I'll make you this cool armor. You're, say, you're saying that Linden needs to be hiring the other teams. Exactly. Because okay. Linden has... This is a good point. Linden can create some pretty cool stuff, some useful and valuable stuff that... And, and then while he's doing that, he can... He can do the thing that he came there to do. The reason why I didn't I didn't think I was going to love the points is I was like, okay, Lyndon showed up to practice this like consume technique and then immediately was like, oh, I want the tickets so I can get that Xbox. <laughs> I got to keep playing the stackers game so I can get oh, more tickets. Oh, you got to get so many tickets for that. And it's like, Lyndon, you're here for a much more important thing than these points. He, I think Lyndon needs to start selling autographs because... They're not going to be worth as much I mean, because he's not uncrowned, but they've got to be worth something. Got to be worth something. Um, <laughs> I think there's, okay, to, yeah, I think that you're right. There's a lot of things you could do. A lot, a lot of little, because right now you're not going to, you're not going to get there. Right. You're going to end up being a dick and being like, okay, I'm going to take the diamond veins. You guys can all have some, you guys can have some pencil erasers. <laughs> Look, they've got like five tickets them. each. <laughs> right. This is exactly the problem. And and if we stay at the current rate of how things are going, that's what's going to happen. Lyndon's not thinking outside the box enough. He just heard, you need this amount of points. Here's how you can get them. And he was like, I'm going to go start picking up pennies. Okay. That's fair. I think that that's a good point. I want to do, lastly, address... Two things that we talked about last episode. Number one, uh, I'm going to congratulate myself because I said that Lyndon and Mercy were not going to end up together. Maybe the reasoning isn't this isn't the same, but uh, points to me. Points. Well, Luke, hold on, us. hold on. We haven't finished the book yet. Oh, that's true. Damn it! Stop! Stop what you're doing. 
Okay, the, the last thing that I was going to say is that Pride definitely does not like Lyndon. <laughs> Luke, hold on. Book's not over. We're only halfway okay. there, Luke. We're only halfway there. Who knows what will happen in this last half of the book? I have no idea. Could be anything. Could be anything. But what I do know, Luke, next week, we're going to be coming back at you with a few more hot takes. It's still acting like dumb nerds.